Hello and welcome to State of Crime. One state, two murders, lots of crime, and apparently lots of recording. Apparently. <laughs> Take two. So we were maybe a fourth of the way into our episode when our recording system just shut down on us. So we're going to try this again. <laughs> the demons got us. Apparently. Yes. So we're just going to jump right back in <laughs> after a little bit of a break and some ranting. Yes. So we're just going to start back over. We are back in Delaware. And this is a case that I found quite a while ago. And I didn't really know a lot of the information. I had seen like a very small tidbit of it on an investigation discovery show that I don't remember what I was watching or where I heard it from, but it was a very small tidbit that I had heard. Caught my attention. I wrote his name down and I'm so glad I did because Elena has now heard a tiny fraction of the case and she is... But I will call upon my amazing actress skills and act like (laughs) this is the first time I've heard it, so I'll act surprised. And I will give a bit of a preface here it is very brutal it is a very brutal thing and so be forewarned yeah so i don't know what i, I was about to push a button <laughs> and i don't know why i don't need to be touching anything <laughs> where's our case so on september 2nd 1994 29 year old sandra lee long had a knock on her front door and on the other side of that door was a man named brian steckel and he was there to ask to use her telephone now, this is not, this seemed to be not an, a strange, out of the ordinary thing because Brian Steckel had been staying in the same apartment complex with a couple of friends and they lived across the hall from Sandra. So it's assumed that they at least saw each other in passing, if right. not said a few friendly hellos, I would assume. And it was also said that Sandra was a very giving person and she was someone who would go out of her way to help people that needed it and as you so often hear you know in cases like this Mm -hmm. and it just makes it doubly to me that's a double layer of tragedy here because you want people like that in society and i mean that's what we need to have a functioning lovely society and yet when that puts you into situations like what you're about to share it makes you think twice. And, yes. Yeah. And this man was also said to, on a regular basis, go around to different apartments in the complex asking to use their phone due to needing the touch tone to be able to receive his messages, which makes us assume that his friends had one of the rotary Right. And phones. like I said, you know, this, it was, <laughs> you youngins who are so used to the cell phones and that newfangled technology, but that was... Not unheard of at the time yeah. because, you know, a lot of people still had rotary phones. People were starting to buy their own phones and so you owned it. But uh, some people held on to the ones that they had been renting from the phone company. There, it, was a, it, was a, it was a crazy time, people. So <laughs> phone technology is going to have its own history someday. But. Seriously. So <laughs> Sandra lets Brian in to use her phone. But... He goes to the phone and he picks it up and pretends to make a phone call. But in reality, he rips the cord from the wall so that he so that Sandra could not use it in any other point in the day to call for help. And this was earlier in the afternoon. This was not at nighttime or anything like that. So 
once he rips the cord from the wall, he starts demanding sexual favors from Sandra. Because all of this, I'm assuming, is going to be from his testimony. Yes. So, again, I... I, I don't know. I, I feel like if he goes in and rips her phone out of the wall, he's immediately raping her. And, you know, I, I don't trust any of his narrative except for the horrible parts that were later confirmed. Yes. Do you know, you know, yes. I, yeah, I don't, this idea that you would rip somebody's and then be like, hey, baby, wanna? Yeah. Gross. So he rips out her cord. He demands sexual favors. She immediately refuses and was like, nah, bro, not happening. That's paused. Okay. okay. So she refuses. And when she refuses, he attacks her. He says that he punched her and then he threw her across the room. And she did put up a fight. He was much larger than she was. I didn't get an exact height or weight on her, but Brian Steckel was 6'2", I believe, almost 200 pounds. So he was a big man. Yeah, And he's a predator. So you know he chose her for a number of reasons, and I'm sure her physical stature was part of it. Yes. So because she put up a fight, she bit him on the finger enough to draw blood so she did put up a fight and he ended up taking a pair of nylon tights and a tube sock and strangling her with him with them and she he strangled her unconscious he did not kill her at this point and while she was unconscious he proceeds to sexually assault her and rape her with a screwdriver oh my god and like I said, I don't even feel like that's a rape. That is, I want to stab you and mutilate you. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, rape, but I guess that's rape too. I I don't know, but ugh. And mm. once he was done with his very gruesome sexual assaults and his brutal raping. That poor baby. He then goes to leave, but before doing so, he sets fire to the bedspread and to her curtains. My God. Now, did he purposely strangle her only to the point of unconsciousness? Do we know this? Or... He didn't really. It was never really talked about. I assume he did. Okay. Because he did say that he lit the fire for something new and exciting, which is disgusting. So he's done this before, too. That makes me think this is not the first time he's committed rape. Possibly. Possibly. So we will get more into that a little bit later. Now, he also said that he stood there and he watched the flames for a little bit before he left. So now she is alive. Thank God, maybe. You know what I mean? I don't know. I feel like at that point, I don't know if I were in that situation, if I'd rather be dead. But luckily for her, she was unconscious during the whole thing. Because she was, she didn't have to be awake right. to actually physically witness and feel this the brutality. Rape. So she does end up waking up surrounded by flames. The room just in flames with a thick black smoke. And she's just been brutally attacked. I'm sure she can't move much. Mm-hmm. So... She's now crying out for help. And 
a man named Lane Randolph, who was a tree trimmer who happened to be passing by the apartment complex, sees the fire and can also hear her crying for help. He, God sent this man is, he went to where he could hear the calls. He kicked in a window and he could see Sandra and he was close enough to have grabbed her hand. And he held on to her for about 30 to 40 seconds, trying with all of his might to pull this lady out of the burning house, the burning building. Right. And he just was unable to get her out because (sighs) due to the flames, he was also being burned. And the smoke, I'm sure he couldn't really see much or breathe. So he's a hero. He's just an unsuccessful hero. Yes. Now, along with this man, there was another name, um, another man named John Hall, who was one of her co-workers, who was also on the scene at some point. It is It wasn't clarified why he was at the apartment complex, whether or not he lived there, or maybe he was passing by, saw the flames, and was like, shit, Sandra lives there, mm-hmm. maybe I should go see. But he does kick in her front door to attempt to get to her but the flames are too much and the smoke is too much and he just he was also unsuccessful of helping Sandra so what he says when he testifies is not only heartbreaking but he does make a comment that I don't know if it's my just overthinking Mm -hmm. that I find it very strange not like he was involved right. strange, right. but just that I don't know if I would ever think this. Maybe? Think of a comment like this. He he did sadly say that he felt like he was in total hell because there was nothing he could do and he tried what he could do and he just there was no he couldn't save her. But his next comment when he testified was what stuck with me and is bone chilling and strange. But he said that after the flames had been put put out, uh-huh. before they had gotten Sandra's body out, he had looked in the window, which I also think is strange because you would think as they're putting the fire out, they would kind of clear the scene. Make yeah, sure that how out. did he get that, that close? close? Well, he said he looked in the window and he saw her body. And he said, quote, she was just folded like a flower in a microwave. Oh. You know... Here's the thing. It's a strange comment. I bet you both of these men have at least a little bit of some PTSD or do you know that has to scar you in ways and to see a human, a a human, especially somebody that you knew personally. They were coworkers. Right. You know, I don't want to say that I don't think, I mean, yeah, it's, it's kind of a weird comment, you know, like you said, <coughs> but at the same time, that's the mind trying to process something mm-hmm. that you know on some level you should not be seeing and yet you are seeing it. Yeah. And, you know, we as humans, we want to make meaning out of everything that happens to us or that we experience. And I feel like that's what he's doing. Yeah. Like I said, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't to me anything like vicious no. or malicious thinking it was just strange yeah yeah a strange it was just a weird thing to for somebody right. to have thought and of. Like, and you can see how unnatural it was for, for him, him to, to see. see this yeah that he is just reaching to try to explain mm-hmm. the horror of it yeah so it 
the medical examiner had ruled that she died from severe burns over 60% of her body and from smoke inhalation. Now, later that same day, because I did say this was earlier in the afternoon, later that same day, News 4 Journal had gotten an anonymous call from a male who identified himself as the Driftwood Killer. The The man named his next victim by name, and the News 4 Journal contacted the police, and the police brought the woman into protective custody and did everything that they needed to do. They also found out that the same woman had previously reported to police that she had been receiving harassing phone calls of a very sexual content. So did they, the police know there was somebody called the Driftwood Killer out and about? No, he named himself. Oh my God. Because it's cool to do that apparently. So they were able to trace the calls back to Brian Steckel. And the next night... On September 3rd, 1994, Brian had gotten extremely drunk at a bar and was walking down the street when Newcastle County Police Patrolman Michael McGowan stopped him because of... He's drunk drunk and probably, yeah, yeah, staggering or whatever. And he noticed almost immediately a very distinctive tattoo on this man's left arm. Okay. Which was, I guess, largely the name that said Ashley. Okay. So since they had known who was calling, they kind of knew who they were looking out for in the first place. Okay. And once he saw the tattoo, he realized who he was encountering. And against his better judgment, he was very wary about it, but he did it anyway. He went and confronted Brian Steckel. But... This police patrolman, who is now a lieutenant, he was very smart about it. Instead of jumping right into it, because he also, this police patrolman had also said, like, this man was big. And Mm -hmm. I probably should have waited for backup, but I didn't. So he decided to convince Brian that he was going to give him a break on the drunken and the public intoxication. He was going to give him a break on that. He's just going to give him a ride home. Okay. Smart. Yeah. Because instead of taking him home, he took him to To the police station, to the police station, booked him for murder. Wow. Yep. So he is clever. I wonder, can you do that though? I mean, I would wonder right away about the legalities of that, about a policeman saying, Hey, I'm going to take you home. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm cu- because like Miranda rights. Yeah, exactly. But because he took you into custody. I wonder if he didn't even like handcuff him. Right. If he just like put him in the back seat and was like, "Oh, we're gonna take you home," and instead gets to the police station and then reads and then Miranda reads it. Oh, maybe, but still, before he actually technically yeah. arrests him, right? That's because he seems weird to me yeah the transport i wonder okay but keep going sorry either way i don't care how he transported him in this case i don't he got the he got the douchebag off the street so i don't care how you did it (laughs) good on you yeah also like props to doing it by yourself also kind of stupid probably should have waited for backup but he did it and it worked in his favor so now during his interrogation his story about Sandra Lee Long's murder changed almost every time they talked to him. Something changed 
And that was when they realized, can't really trust anything this man says. Not to mention, I'm sure when they first interrogated him, he was very drunk because they just picked him up. He was originally getting stopped for public intoxication. So that in and of itself is a lot. Right. But during some of the interrogation, at one point he said that he believed that Sandra was pregnant and that it could have been his because they were supposedly having consensual sex in the days prior to her murder. But if, as anybody who knows how the reproductive system works, you may get pregnant that quickly, but you're not going to know. Right. So he's a liar. And well, and just lying that they had a consensual relationship. Yes. But the, her being pregnant, maybe not so out there because it was also said later by her family that they also believed that she may have been four or five months pregnant. Oh, that's pretty far along. Yes. You'd be, even in a first pregnancy, yeah. you'd be showing by then. Yes. So all of these things just seemed really far-fetched. Mm-hmm. But the autopsy did show that there was no signs of pregnancy. Okay. But her family then decides to chime in a little bit, wondering... If, again, very gruesome and very gory, and I'm sorry, but they were curious if the brutal assault with the screwdriver would have messed up any sort of signs of pregnancy. Could have maybe made her miscarry. Well, not only that, but could you... Again, I'm sorry, guys, but can you... I can't. Well, why did her family think she was pregnant in the first place? That's what I missed. It never really got brought up. Okay. But could I don't know if you could if I could even imagine how a woman's insides who have just been brutally raped with a screwdriver could look. It might be possible. But then again, I don't I don't know. I'm not an expert. I don't you know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm sorry that that, it was so graphic. Yeah. So sorry. But once he was in custody, after they interrogated him on Sandra's murder, he was almost immediately confessing to so much more. So he was confessing to multiple murders in multiple different states. He claimed to have killed four people in Delaware, two in Pennsylvania. He claimed that one of his victims was a 15-year-old newspaper carrier. And then he later confessed to killing people in Maine, Las Vegas, Florida, and California. Wow. But they were not able to connect him to a single one of these murders that he was confessing to. So it almost feels like he's wants to be this big well i mean he'd already chosen a name for himself the driftwood killer and so he's almost creating this mythos yes and i even put in my notes here like he wanted to be a serial killer but it was just too much work apparently you know and police even said had they not caught him they know for a fact he would have killed again right well and i don't believe this was his first rape i no. there's no way this was his first rape He may not, this may be his first and only murder, but there's no way this was his first mm-hmm. sexual assault. So, and he even, he said himself, I'm an animal. I will hurt anyone. I've been hurting people for a long time. If you let me walk out that door, I'll do it again. Wow. And so p- the police did check on his stories and his confessions, and they were not able 
to connect him to anything. He, the 15 year old victim who had been killed, that was a newspaper carrier, they had already, they had found that somebody had already been arrested and convicted of this murder. And when they told him that, he immediately recanted every one of his confessions and said, I was just shooting the breeze, man. I was drunk when I was saying that I never killed anyone else. But he never recanted Sandra's Sandra's death. Yes. So, like I said, he very much wanted to be a serial killer. And they really, at that point, knew for sure you can't trust a word he says. Right. So So he's almost a pathological liar on top of all these other horrific things. Now, the trial was a doozy. It's going to make me mad, isn't it? Maybe. The outcome, not so much. Okay. The outcome won't piss you off. Okay. But, like, the things that happen during the trial is we'll what's going off. to piss you off. So, during one of the hearings, his relatives were able to testify. And they said that Brian was not a heartless monster. One of his aunts said that you could not find a more gentle child. His brother testified recalling opening Christmas presents when they were younger and playing together and all of these things. And he had a 12-year-old daughter at the time who was at this hearing. He had a 12-year-old daughter? Yes. So how old was he when he did this? Do you know? So we do know that he was 26 at the time, which... Now that I say it out loud, it does sound a little strange that he would have had a 12-year-old daughter because that means he would have had her when he was 14, which isn't completely out there. It's Mm -hmm. possible, I suppose. But she was at this hearing, and she had to hear him talk about this. And he, at this trial, offered... No excuses for her murder. None. Which left his 12-year-old daughter in tears that he had that she had to like witness this. I don't know why they would have brought her. I was gonna say, why the hell was a 12-year-old allowed into this courtroom? I have no idea. But since he didn't serve any excuses, his relatives and his attorneys decided to you ready to get pissed off? Yeah. Decided to point out a history of mental health problems. God damn it. Now, I... <laughs> everyone knows how Elena and I feel about mental health. Mental health in and of itself is a very real thing. Right. But anytime it is used as a defense is almost always fucking bullshit. I do agree with that. So, they... Wait for a second. You ready? They tried to say that Brian was angry. He was an angry child. And he had delusions when he was young. Which is a fucking contradiction to what his family just Just said. Right, about how he's this, you know, perfect person and sweet and gentle. And now suddenly we realize, oh, we got to come up with this defense. So let's spin this new narrative. And that's what pisses me off about this. A, you're demonizing people with mental health issues. Yep. And and I don't even doubt that some of these people have mental health issues, but it's not the reason they're doing what they're mm-hmm. doing. I agree. So in one of the confession tapes from the police, 
He claimed that he was a messed up person. You're, you're about to get real pissed off again. He said, quote, I was a redhead. People taunted me, did shit to me. You know what I mean? Pushing me, uh, pushing me, stepping on me. I got tired of that, man. I just fought back. My family loved me, and now they're scared of me because they made me this way. The family, the system, society. So he's blaming the very family that is trying to come up with all of these excuses for him. And here we go again, finding another fucking person that blames everybody else. else. He blames society. He blames his family. He blames being bullied is the reason why he is made this way. Which is fucking bullshit. bullshit. I don't know. There's a great quote I ran across recently in a book I was reading. I think it's by Mark Manson. And he says, and, and I, this just hit me like a ton of bricks. Just because something isn't your fault doesn't mean it's not your responsibility. Okay. And I think that is one of the most important lessons that we need to start teaching people. Is that, so... Even if he were bullied, for instance, say this is all true, not his fault, never your fault if you're bullied. It is your responsibility to deal with it. So, and you know, and again, it's our society's responsibility as well to provide resources and help people. I want to throw that out there as well. I'm, you know, um, it's a community issue, but that is true for all. And I do think that that is probably the defining line between assholes like this and the rest of us who also experience i mean i there's not a person i know that hasn't had some really horrific experiences in their lives yes whether it's been a victimization by somebody or just a horrible random accident most people i know both yes you know there's some combination of the two and I think the people who don't turn out like this piece of garbage are the ones that whether they are cognizant of it or, or not, but they at least take that idea that it's my, it's my responsibility. It's not my fault, but it's my responsibility. And they find a way to deal with it, channel it, that doesn't involve victimizing other people. So along with that... Uh, I heard this quote when I was younger I went to a summer camp every year and during the summer camp we would have many speakers at this camp and one of them I believe I still own this book I don't remember what it's called and I don't remember the author but I remember him speaking and he it, it was in his book and he said it and it has stuck with me every day since no matter what the situation you can either get bitter or better. Yeah. And it stuck with me every day. And that's very reminiscent get, yeah. of, you know what I mean? Right. So, and I very much agree to that. So he, this man wants people to feel bad for him. But then during his trial, this absolute <laughs> fucking piece <laughs> of shit. I wish you could see Kaylin's face right now. <laughs> he, during during his trial, while in custody, sends 75 letters to different people. Some of these letters were confessing murders, 
which anything, all the murders. So he's back confessed. to this bullshit yes. again. So some of them were confessing murders. Some were bragging about the murder of Sandra Long. Ugh. And the worst of all, this is that little tidbit of information mm-hmm. that I caught from the Investigation Discovery show that put his, his name in my brain in the first place. He sent a letter to Sandra Lee Long's mother. Oh, my God. And in this letter included the autopsy report. How the hell did he get his hands on it? And in the margin of this autopsy report, he wrote, Happy, happy, joy, joy. Read it and weep. She's gone forever. Don't cry over burnt flesh. Oh, my God. So he's a sadistic, yeah, piece. Oh, my God. How the hell did he get the autopsy report? Probably from his defense. But, uh, yeah. So we had talked about before I started, before we started this episode, that while I was doing my research and writing my notes, which I put on my phone, I then very (laughs) angrily slammed my fingers a bunch on a bunch of random letters and in all caps in my notes wrote fuck this dude (laughs) still stand by it yeah so along with the autopsy report that had the very lovely Mm -hmm. note on the side of it there was a letter and i'm pretty sure there was more to the letter but they never released the whole letter of course but part of it said quote I'm not sorry for what I did to your daughter. She deserved everything she got. So right to the, her mother. Please tell me this guy gets the death penalty. Does we will get there? Okay, God. So now to kind of circle back around around to the amount of confessions he had and the lack of credibility to any of mm-hmm. them. Some of you may question whether or not that you can even believe his confession about Sandra Long's murder. Mm -hmm. But thankfully we do have some evidence from the investigation and including blood that had been found on her apartment door Mm -hmm. that matched his. Also, they found the nylon stockings, the lighter and the screwdriver used during her attack. Oh God. So he took these things home as Mm -hmm. a trophy. Well, it wasn't specified. I don't know if he took them home or if they found it in the rubble of the fire. Oh, okay, okay. But I assume you wouldn't be able to find nylon stockings. They would have burnt. I would think. Or melted or whatever. Yeah. But I don't think the screwdriver would have melted. No, no, right. But, so, even though no one can really trust what comes out of this piece of shit's mouth anyway, we do know he did it. So, on January 8th, 1997 so about three a little less than three years later he was sentenced to death yay he told the jurors i ask that you hold me accountable for what i did i know what i did was wrong it was selfish and despicable so this man really confuses me because on one end of the spectrum he is sending her mother horrific things. Well, what he does, he seems like, and, and I mean, I, I know people like this. You probably know people like, not to this extent, mm-hmm. but they just like to piss people off. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Like they're just, they, they, get, they get their kicks out of just picking and picking and picking until they get some sort of an emotional reaction. 
Yeah. And he seems like that type of person. So, now again, this absolute piece of fucking garbage. (laughs) During 1998 and 1999, Brian Steckel decided to start appealing his conviction. Of course he did. He claimed that he had ineffectual defense. Okay, sure. He, this claim was rejected. Good. On August 31st, 2001. So it took a couple of years. My birthday. Happy birthday to me. (laughs) Right? So it took a couple of years for them to deny his appeal, which I don't know a lot about the appeals process, so I don't know if that's I know it can grind, so. Well, by the Delaware Supreme Court on April 11th, 2002, he filed for another appeal, also got denied. Good. He then filed an appeal to the U.S. District Court of the District of Delaware, and the United States Courts of Appeals. Denied. Also denied. Yes. But the one for the United States Courts of Appeals that he had put in was to challenge the constitutionality of the death penalty laws that were in place in Delaware at the time of his sentencing. Okay. Basically saying death penalty right. is cruel and unusual punishment. Blah, 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 blah. But also got denied. <laughs> woot, woot. So... Without any luck, on September 30th, 2005, the Superior Court of Delaware set an execution date of November 4th, 2005. Wow. Which was just a couple, about a week-ish after they, they're like, nope, here in about a week you're going to die. So, sure enough, November 4th, 2005... His final words were, I want to say I'm sorry for the cruel things that I did. I'm not the same man I was when I came to jail. I changed. Bullshit. (sighs) I'm a better man. Bullshit. (laughs) I walked in here without a fight and I accepted my punishment. Bullshit. You appealed it. (laughs) It's my time to go. I love you people. I'm at peace. Fucking bullshit. (laughs) I hate this man I well just the chronic line like you Uh said you don't know you know this it sounds a lot like he's constantly saying things like you see on tv and in movies do you know you know like oh this is what i should say supposed to say sort of a thing well at 12 21 a.m november 4th 2005 he was pronounced dead after being executed by lethal injection at the delaware correctional facility now (laughs) oh boy there there were a few hiccups along the way during his oh is this one of those botched executions during his execution there was a few little hiccups see and i don't like these either now like i said i i know i'm sitting here saying oh i hope he got the death penalty and yeah he's dead i am still very torn about it yeah and i just i i think we run a big risk of taking joy in another person's suffering even when they are like this. I'm sorry to say I take so much joy in this man's suffering. Which is, it's weird because I like to believe that I'm a genuinely kind-hearted person. But when it comes to things like this, like, and we talked about this when we had our discussion Mm -hmm. episodes, where there is that fine line between thinking about 
how someone thinks they have the right to take somebody else's life, mm-hmm. but then we, with the death penalty, think that we have the right to take their life. Right. So there's a very fine line, but this man had no right to brutalize no. this poor And this is a particularly woman. horrific crime. I yes. mean, yes. So just just go. I'll, so, I'll steal myself here. I, I And I will say it again. I very much... I'm. It, it's not that bad. Okay. It's not that bad. But I do enjoy his suffering. Okay. Sorry, I think he deserved every second of it. For everything that he did to that poor woman, he deserved every second of it. Right. So, there were a couple of failures with injecting the drugs. Oh, boy. Because we had kind of talked about it in our death penalty where I said I wanted to know who actually does the injection. Right. Who actually does the physical execution uh-huh. and then i believe it was the week after the episode maybe a couple of weeks after when we i did an episode with maria and my dad okay and he had talked about he'd given me some insight about how the death penalty actually works and how the actual execution works where it's normally set up to some sort of timer so no one is actually doing the execution right. it's a timer of some sort that will like slowly inject the drugs well he was correct because the lethal injection machine was connected to a computer, which you like put a time in, it injects the drugs, you wait, they die. Okay. Normal. Well, apparently, this computer was making some sort of very audible clicks that it should not have been making Uh-oh. because it was not working properly. Okay. And so he had made his final statement. And then for the next 12 minutes, they had some issues with the computer and they have now since gotten rid of this machine and gotten something that actually works. Okay. (laughs) And that was because of this, because this was when they realized like this isn't working. Well, he was lucid and continued to make several comments after he was supposedly injected. And he was making these comments to his family members and his friends who were there to witness his execution. And it was also said that the sedative and the paralytic drugs had failed to take effect because at some point he was seen convulsing. Okay. And the Delaware Department of Corrections spokeswoman, Beth Welch, said that nothing went wrong with the execution, that the time, the time space was due to the warden giving Brian Steckel more time for his statement. That sounds like bullshit to me. If they hear the clicking, they see him convulsing, and it took an extra 12 minutes than it should have. Something went wrong, and that spokeswoman is just just covering her Yeah, that's just, exactly. Yes. That's, yeah, damage control. Yes, especially if they have said that they got rid of this machine Mm -hmm. that was doing it in the first place because of this. So... That's definitely just like damage control covering their own asses. And I think it that also them covering their own asses had to do with the fact that he had appealed the death penalty because it was cruel and unusual punishment. punishment. And then something happens and goes so there's wrong. There's a little irony here. Yes. But fuck that guy. <laughs> <laughs> fuck that guy. I know, Kaylin, but there's, oh, I, I, like, uh, I get torn on this stuff. I get that, too. The, 
you know, and I don't know. I feel like, you know, we humans, we like an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. There's something that feels like justice in that. I, but, uh, I, I've, yeah, I don't know. Like yeah. I said, I'm very torn on the death penalty, and there's so many things I read about it that it's, God, I don't know how to say this. I guess there's a part of me that's amazed at how difficult it is to kill somebody humanely. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Because there's a lot of stuff coming out now about lethal injection that's pretty horrific. I don't know how they know some of the things that they're claiming about it, yeah. but... Um, I don't know. It gives me nightmares. So, yeah, I like I said, I I try to think of myself, and I I feel like I actively every day make sure that I try to be like a genuinely kind person. But with things like this, there's just not even an ounce of me that feels sorry for mm -hmm. him. Now, I do feel sorry for his family who had right. to sit there and watch him suffer. Mm -hmm. I do feel bad for them because they didn't do the wrongdoing right they didn't deserve that right but i do believe that that man deserved every bit of the suffering of that 12 minute that that 12 minutes took and it doesn't sound like he suffered a lot during that 12 minutes because he was still they did say that he was seen convulsing at one point but also he was say they were saying that he was making other comments to his family and his friends that mm -hmm. were there so it doesn't seem that he was really suffering for that long and I very much don't think that his family and friends that were there deserved that to see that. Right. But I do fully, 100% in my heart, think that he deserved every ounce of the suffering. Of that suffering. Because Sandra didn't deserve exactly. that. And I mean, and that's what I was just going to loop back to, you know, that we so often do in cases like this is, yes, but look what he did to this other human being and her suffering and how horrific and brutal that was when she didn't do anything she, to yes, deserve exactly. that he did something to deserve right. his suffering mm -hmm. and i think that's i don't know if that's just how i justify it in my mind but i think something like that if just if you go back to our lisa donlin case of of mm -hmm. alaska she justifiably killed her husband right because he did all of these horrible things. It was a self-defense murder. I mean, he was going to... It was, yeah. it was literally... Kill or be killed. He, yeah, exactly. And it wasn't like a standoff in the mm -hmm. Old West where you both have pistols drawn right yeah. in that moment. But that was definitely yes. where this was going. So, I don't I don't know. It's, it's a hard one because, like, fuck this man. Yeah. <laughs> but there's... I think I will 100% stand behind the fact that, like, this man deserved every bit of that suffering is even if I don't think that his family did, but he I also did. don't think that his family 100%. And I've said it before, I have a hard time understanding family members who stand behind people who have done such horrific yeah, things. Yeah, you and I have both talked about that. Because too. I don't, I, I can't understand that. Mm -mm. Um, but on a different note, which you and I have also not talked about yet... <laughs> Uh oh. Um, when we decide to start looping back around to other cases or to other the new, the states that we've right. already covered, which I think we might have talked about it a little bit in a previous episode, but I'm not 100 percent sure with what our plan is about halfway through stopping and doing something fun somewhere else. But once we start coming back around, I have 
there's a girl who just recently started working at my place of work and she decided to tell me about the fact that her father is currently in the Idaho State Prison for murder. Dun dun dun. And she told me because we were talking wow. about we were talking about the podcast and she was like, Well, if you ever come back to Idaho, my dad's in prison for murder. Oh my god. What? Wow. Yeah. Does she still have a relationship with it? No. No. Okay. There was She's also, not one of those standby no, right, family member people. From what she has discussed with me, she has cut off ties with her grandmother because her grandmother still has a relationship with him. Yeah. And so that was another reason why it got brought up is because we were talking about family members standing behind these people who have done such horrific things and how we don't really understand. Yeah. Because I, I, I don't understand it. I don't see... Then again, you don't really know until you're in that situation, but I really have a hard time believing that I would stand behind anybody, family member or not, who was able, especially in a case like this where he did something so So, brutal. And so there was so much hate put behind it. that it And planning. Yes, and he planned it, and Mm -hmm. you know he planned it. He had to have. Yes. And it's just... And then had the audacity to taunt her mother afterward. Mm-hmm. Like, that is disgusting. Yeah, and there's so much about this that's pretty brutal. Yeah, and just horrific and mm-hmm. gruesome. And it, yeah, it. I have a hard time understanding how people stand behind their family members. So I do say that I don't think that they deserved watching him suffer, which I don't think they do, but I also do believe that they made the wrong decision to continue to support this man. Yeah. Which, I mean, it's your own decision. You do what you want to do do when it comes to things like that but I still don't think it's the right decision so for a small state Delaware had a lot of horrors it between did. our two cases so it did once again we want to thank our listeners and check us out at gmail state of state of crime <laughs> podcast at gmail.com that is where you can send us our suggestions if yes. you have any suggestions for us right. and also on our Facebook discussion page We'll try to get our Twitter and our Instagram updated. We've been kind of slacking on those things, but we're very good on Facebook. We are very good on Facebook. Definitely follow us there. If you go anywhere, go to Facebook. And reach out. So we want to thank you all for listening. If you're listening on an Apple product, please make sure you go in, rate, and review us. It helps us a lot. And it also, most people don't know this. I actually just learned about this recently, was when you rate and review us, it helps us on the charts more so that oh, people awesome. who are just scrolling through trying to find something to listen to, Bumps when us. we get higher rates, it, it you, you can rate it whatever you want, to be honest with you, but the more reviews and the more ratings we have will definitely help other people find us. Yes. Right. So if you want to help us out, that would be awesome. And, and next week, we are off to Missouri, which... I have a case for this one. Oh boy, you always do. So, granted, I did go a little crazy when we first started this, and I went through and I had found a bunch of cases. So, I do have quite quite a bit lined up, which is exciting. What that will be our seventeenth state. We've oh my goodness. Seven, 16 states so far. We're making some progress here, we people. We are pretty excited. So. <laughs> we're, almost, we're almost halfway there. And Woo-hoo! we haven't really discussed w- with 
our listeners yet what we're doing halfway through. That's right. Well, we'll let's like leave it as a surprise. I will, I, but I'm so excited, and I feel like everyone <laughs> needs to know how excited I am for what we're doing. Me too. So, All right. Thank you for listening. See you next time.